Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herd Tell. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell. Uh, going to talk a little education, a very important topic that has been on a lot of people's minds for a lot of different reasons. He's a Young Voices contributor. We're thrilled to have him. Kenneth Shrub, how are you, sir? I'm doing well today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the time. Uh, here's the thing. The way you've been talking about education and the piece you wrote in Chalkboard Review that we're going to get into, uh, you get to the dirty, sticky, pointy end of the education debate. And that's the part that people don't really want to talk about because they want to talk about nice, fancy buzzwords like children and education and learning and growing. Really, a lot of this just comes down to money. And that's what you were writing about in this particular piece, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Right now, we have tons of these buzzwords going around school choice. Nobody's really quite defining that. Does school choice mean charter schools? Does school choice mean vouchers? Does it mean education savings accounts? Uh, people universally support children having better options for education. But when it comes down to how we're going to pay for it, how we're going to prevent massive inflation and cost for schools, it seems people don't really have answers. Generally speaking on items like this, I tend to be a freedom guy. I tend to be an all of the above guy. When you start talking about money and funding and educational accounts and things like this, you can't get to all of the above until you deal with the funding issue because we all know private school is very expensive. Uh, but the cost for public schools is uh, also expensive, although it comes through taxes and stuff. What's a good way to get into this issue where we talk about the money? Because folks just get uncomfortable when you start talking about money and education, don't they? So first you have to realize that the average uh, call, uh, private school K-12 through tuition is a few thousand dollars less than what the average state spends per student. Um, so so there's sort of there is this myth that private school education is significantly more expensive but in reality, on a per people basis, it is more afford- it is much uh, more affordable. How do we get the idea of funding into people's heads? Because we've run into this in other uh, situations. Is when you start talking about millions of dollars, billions of dollars, stats just gloss people's eyes over. You know, they just they lose track of that. But you can talk about individual stories, and all of a sudden, you bring them back. When you're talking about something like school choice, when you're talking about school savings account, what's some of the stories we can talk about? Because just quoting the stats and the behemoth that is public education, I think we kind of lose people a little bit. What do you think? Most people understand that the state spends more per child than they tend to pay in taxes as a median family and in, in state tax. So they understand that they are getting a benefit of some kind. But because because of that, that divorce between what they pay in taxes and how much more benefit they receive, uh, it's hard for people to think about controlling the cost of education because directly it appears like it's not borne by them. So it doesn't really matter how much we put into the public school system because they don't feel like they're directly paying for it. They're paying for a portion of it, to be sure. 
But, um, you know, in California, I think the median households state tax is something like $6,000. Imagine you have two kids, the state spending about, um, I think it's 18,000 a student. Uh, so $36,000 in benefit that you get just from schooling. So if it's, if it doesn't feel as much like it's your money, you're not going to want to be as concerned about how, how it's going to be, how much it's going to cost, how much it's going to be funded, which is why private schools have had to keep costs significantly down. Um, you can't really get, there's no massive subsidy for private schools. There's no student loans that I know of uh, for private schools. There are generous financial aid programs at many schools, but, but really it's the incentive of parents knowing every, every single dollar is their own um, that keeps the cost down. And this is an issue that keeps coming up anytime you talk school choice and we're talking education with Kenneth Shrub from Young Voices today, UC San Diego guy. Um, yes, how do you get past the debate? Because there seems to be this wall in a lot of people's mind of anytime you talk funding that if you have anything other than public school, you're taking money away from the public school. That's the argument that's always raised. And that's not really the case, is it? Because when you talk about things like these education accounts, you talk about private school funding, you just quoted the stats about how the tuition stays down because it has to be competitive by nature. How do we get past that? Because the first argument everybody says is, well, if you have a private school option, it's going to take funding away from the public schools. Not necessarily. Look at look at charter schools. Charter schools are public schools. I think that we have this weird distinction in people's minds between charter and public schools because the left and liberal media have decided to make charter schools an enemy when they've done the most for underrepresented students in underserved areas, uh, far more than many even private schools have. Um, there's a reason that there's waiting lists of thousands of thousands of students for places like Success Academy in New York. These, these places deliver. I would instead maybe perhaps consider calling traditional public schools union schools and charter schools are, remain, remain charter schools. They're all public schools. But, but we need these distinctions in people's minds between oh, this is a needless distinction in people's minds between these charter schools, which, which give you plenty of choice and leeway. They can have their own hiring and firing practices. They're not dominated by the unions. They're student first, not uh, educator first. Yeah, we're talking to Kenneth Shrub. I'm glad you bring that up because I wanted to ask you about this. Um, in some states, I know in North Carolina, the fastest growing charter school is actually the state sanctioned online academy. There's a lot of schools like art schools and specialty schools and career vocational schools that are starting to find online or hybrid models. And they are looking towards the charter school models and the private school models to do that. Is some of this that we're just going to have to realize that with technology and with students having more options and more input through technology, that our idea of education just needs to expand in general, even beyond just, like you said, a union school or a traditional K through 12 school system? To be honest, I find the idea of mostly online school to be sort of dystopian hellscape. I don't want kids learning in the metaverse, in like in in pot in the metaverse, not experiencing you know school school schoolyard roughhousing, not playing sports during recess with their friends, not chit chatting in the back of class, but having to pay attention and pass at the same time, you know, developing socially. This this online online school system it works it works for some people but in reality it's probably holding back children's development. It's fine as an option, but we need to figure out how to bring back in person education as much as we can. We've seen how much children have been have been affected by just the mask mandates and closing of schools. We have lobbed off maybe in one entire uh, you know perhaps 15, 30 IQ points off of kids' development in the, in the last couple of years. Now, we might catch that up, but 
that that's the difference between somebody who has graduated from college and somebody who hasn't uh, graduated from high school, typically in the intelligence distribution, simply because we've cut them off from early essential education. Yeah, to your point, I know uh, some colleagues of mine, like M. Carpenter, they've talked about uh, the last full school year that we have data now that students going into this year, some of them are a year to two years of school behind where they are right now. Um, That's just a fact of life because of the pandemic going forward. Would something like uh, education accounts, like more school choice, would this be an option for parents to say, okay, the school system, there's no way they're going to catch up if I don't get them in a better educational system. Is that going to be a good window to start talking about some of these issues, do you think? Well, that's, that's been why people are talking about these issues. Parents, parents do want to have choices for their kids other than these union schools that are, have remained shut down because the administrators and teachers uh, are, you know, have, have concerns. Some might have valid concerns, some might not, about, about going back to work in person with these students. Ch- you know, parents want what's best for their children, and their children not going to school and having online education just isn't a choice. Talking to Candace Shrepp. Uh, when you wrote about it in the piece, you talked about harmful systemic effects while expanding educational opportunities, educational reform advocates need to recognize this. What did you mean exactly by that? Because when you start saying things like systemic, people get in their mind, you know, bad things like conspiracy theories and top down kind of stuff. So what did you mean by systematic there? So when I was what I was specifically talking about in that paragraph was that. Improving school choice is very important, but if you universally provide education savings accounts, you universally give everybody, as in the state of California, where they're looking at funding you about $14,000 a year per student, no matter what your income level, the result is, according to several studies that have been done, uh, dramatically increased private school tuition without significantly expanding expanding enrollment in private schools because you have so many more dollars chasing what is the same number of seats, right? Let's say that you have a successful private school where you're charging people $12,000 a year in tuition. Um, suddenly, and, and you're completely full, you have, a, you have a good mix of kids on financial aid. Um, I mean, you, tr- you try to do your best, but that you have you still have way more applicants than you have spots. So you can you can actually you are you already already are raising your tuition a little bit every year. Now let's say you learn of a state program where every single family, even these families making two, you know hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, they're going to immediately be getting fourteen thousand dollars a year. Why would you not raise your tuition fourteen thousand dollars? In fact, those checks are going to make it so that people can more and more and more people can try to afford to go to your school which means you'll have even more applicants. So you'll have a much larger pool and far more money chasing the same number of spots. You, you are going to raise your prices. This has happened every single place that this has been attempted. The wider the uh, number of children who are given these education savings accounts past, past low and middle income families, the more of, of this unfair uh, effect that you see where Tuition skyrockets even further out of control, and more children from underserved areas are left with the same terrible educational opportunities. Yeah, we're talking to Kenneth Shrepp. We're right back to where we started with the money stuff. When we come back on Hartel, we're going to start digging in to these educational accounts. A better idea uh, is universal, the good and the bad of that. Uh, more education with Kenneth Shrepp when we come back on Hartel right after this.
Uh, welcome back. We're still talking to Kenneth Strupp about education and ESAs. Okay, you talked about some of the problems with doing a universal education savings account, how that would um, kind of make the money move around in ways that may not be equitable. What do you think is a good way to try to implement these on a policy level? Should they be like a state level thing? Should it be a federal thing? Uh, how do you see a good process if the universal isn't the perfect method? What would be a better way to go about this? I think that it should be available to students in the worst performing school districts in the country, uh, limited to say the bottom, oh, the, the bottom quartile uh, or, bo- or bottom third of the worst performing school districts. It, I would probably would not want to administer this at a federal level. Um, it probably due to funding, most, most education funding being from the state, this is probably best done at the state level where, where you allow people who are just stuck and assigned to these terrible district union schools where they have no chance of even graduating high school uh, to, to be given these vouchers to attend private school. Uh, there is something I do want to bring up um, that really speaks to why universal education savings accounts are such a bad idea. And I think we really need to look at the cost of college tuition. Believe it or not, uh, college tuition used to be rise, rising slower than or in line with inflation up until uh, um, Linda B. Johnson had the idea of allowing for uh, students to of lower and middle low low and lower middle income to be able to get these loans to attend college uh, so that they could attend college full time, graduate faster, get a, we, we'd have a better knowledge workforce. Uh, what happened was private school tuition went up faster than inflation. Public school tuition did not because we were pouring money into building more and more colleges. Uh, and, and you were able to get many more of these students into higher and higher in private schools that they can now afford thanks to these loans. Now let's fast forward to the Carter administration. Come the Carter administration, um, the baby boom is over, lots of empty seats in colleges. They decide to expand these federal student loan programs to people of all incomes. What happens at that moment, you create unlimited demand for a limited number of spots, right? Sure, people start new colleges, but they're starting it. It doesn't, you know, it almost doesn't matter how many schools you start. If you go from people are paying it for themselves, if they're from the upper and upper middle class to anybody can pay any amount of money to go to nearly any school. That's, that's when you have inflation and waste go out of control, even at the private schools where they had, they previously had to keep costs down. The exact same thing is going to happen with with private school, private K through twelve schools. If we go from tar- from targeted univer- targeted education savings accounts, universal education savings accounts. Why do we seem to not understand that education is one of those things that throwing money at it just does not work? And in fact, throwing money at it makes it worse. We've got you just you just mentioned almost sixty years of history right there. And we've got all the data in the world. We're adding this massive bureaucratic level to the K through 12 education system. You just mentioned higher ed's getting more and more expensive, grossly um, not tethered to how the rest of costs in life in America is right now. Why can't we just get that simple thing through our heads? Like, look, this is not a money problem. And in fact, the money's actually making a lot of this worse. So the, the big problem is that I think it's driven now by an ideological desire to unchain children from public schools, regardless of cost. In the, la- in the last decade, we've had uh, a change in, in conservative and libertarian circles from seeing government as something not only to be limited, but to, to be used to your own ends and expanded when appropriate, if the ends justify the means. 
I, I also think that there may be funding from organizations of private schools hoping for this massive subsidy and massive increase. You know, this, or you might even have people just trying to buy votes. I don't know what it is, but it's certainly not good. And people who are researchers who earnestly believe that the cost of K through 12 education is not going to skyrocket because we're going to have a short to temporary supply shock are not looking at the state of the labor market in the United States and looking at what happened with private college tuition once you made uh, federal student loans available to anyone and at an unlimited amount. I mean, look, we have people, we have, we have states like I think New Mexico is sending in the National Guard to serve as, uh, as, teach, as substitute teachers because there just aren't enough teachers. Like, what do you, what, what do you think is going to happen when we start giving everybody money for, to, start, to start new schools? We don't have enough teachers. We, we simply can't do this. Is that a effect of this being um, a backward system right now? Theoretically, you would want your teachers to be kind of a self-sustaining thing where you have people going through the education system and they love it so much and then they get inspired by their teachers that, hey, I want to go be a teacher. I love teachers. Both of my parents were public school teachers for the entirety of their careers. Um, but because of the way the college system is set up, it, it would be hard for educators just to have four years of college and then go back into the school system. We're not seeing that now because they got to have their national certifications. A lot of them want to have a, an advanced degree to get a better paycheck to move on. They want the auxiliary things. We've almost built an education system that precludes getting teachers in the classrooms in an, in an effective method. And that just goes right back to this money problem once again, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, the moment that we divorced, uh, you know, what you study from what you're from how you're going to pay for what you study and what you're going to go do with that beyond beyond merit i mean obviously a financial aid programs and colleges that help very very exceptionally talented students study study history or literature study 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 the humanities or social sciences because because these these are some amazing people but now that we've given everybody this money we have 40% of college graduates in America working a job that doesn't require a college degree. Meanwhile, we can't get enough teachers because you need to have a master's to get to make anywhere north of like $35,000 a year starting salary. Uh, these teachers have to have a bachelor's degree, then they have to get these certifications. It's a never ending process. And it's very hard to be a teacher now. Yeah. And uh, we could talk on the flip side of that some other time about how now we've got a bunch of jobs that need master's degrees that probably shouldn't, because that's a big problem as well. All right. You opened up, you talked about it. Uh, you're obviously not against school choice. You're a school choice guy. You look at these issues and study it. But when you wrote this piece for the chalkboard review, some of the school choice folks actually gave you a little bit of pushback on this, thinking maybe you were taking a run at the idea of savings accounts and school choice issues. Um, let me just give you the platform and respond to some of that. How did that kind of criticism land with you and how would you answer it? So, uh, you know, they took my article, which is literally titled means tested education savings accounts best promote school choice. I mean, I personally also really support charter schools. I think charter schools have worked out fantastically as a solution. I'm not opposed to charter schools either, but simply trying to say that we shouldn't be giving you know, households at the top of the income distribution, or even those who live in suburbs with, with great public schools and, you know, families in the up, more upper middle class part of the income distribution, just fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars checks. They they thought they thought I was saying that the entire project of getting children out of public schools 
uh, traditional public schools is uh, a waste of time. I, I don't agree with that. I, I, tr- I want as many children to have as many options as possible, but we don't have unlimited money and just throwing money at the problem is just going to make it worse. We've seen it happen time after time. Yeah, I think um, we ran into this a little bit during the pandemic where they're like, well, everybody should homeschool their kids. Like, well, no, that's not, there's no way people can do that. There's just, you know, you got to be a certain kind of person to do sort of things like that. Is a lot of this education debate, we just want to do these broad brush, one quick fix buzzword policies. And the truth is that this really needs to be a lot of local with some support at the state and federal level. And there's just so much nuance to this. And that just doesn't really fit the environment we're trying to discuss education in right now, does it? So and here's a perspective, I think, that that, man, that many of these people going for universal uh, ESAs might have. You, know, you, you look at the effects of the public school t- system being entirely captured by interests that are trying to destroy their way of life. Um, and they're thinking regardless of cost, we have to get as many children out of, of the traditional public school system as possible, even if that means creating a new monster in the private school system where you have more waste, more mess, sky, skyrocketing tuition, as long as it means kids can get out. Because I think their vision is, is for, um, you know, people to start publishing. One of the, one of the things is ESA advocates promote is not having not allowing money to be spent on non-accredited schools because i think some of the ideas that if this money is available people are going to create curriculums that are more uh that revolve more around their vision for what a good life what the good life is what a good citizen should learn uh enough and that, and that starts off online those children online form up into pods those pods over time form into schools and eventually you have most students in private schools and and the public schools entirely destroyed, um, not destroyed, but subsumed. Um, That's, that's a fine vision, but I don't see why we need to have all of this government money following it. He's kind of up. We've been dealing with education, kind of deep diving into this stuff, education accounts and so forth. Uh, one thing's for sure, education is going to continue to be a hot button issue. We just saw it in the Virginia election. We're going to see it in this midterm election, I think, coming off the pandemic. So we're going to be talking more and more about it. So I appreciate your time today. Let folks know where they can find your writing and where they can find you online and follow you, my friend. Honestly, best way, best way to keep up with my writing and keep find me online is to follow me on Twitter. Uh, just search my name, Kenneth Shrupp, K-E-N-N-E-T-H-S-C-H-R-U-P-P, and I'll be, definitely be the first to show up. Yep. And uh, we put it down there in that little lower third graphic right to his right as if you're watching on the YouTube channel or on the Facebook page. Uh, Kenneth Shrupp, thank you so much for the time today going through an in-depth issue, but we got to because I think this is one of the most buzzwordy issues we have, but it really touches so much of our society. We need to dig into it more and I appreciate your thoughts and time on it. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.